to go, and I have, and it's a really good soundtrack. So my number 16 is, I don't know if people are going to agree with how high I put this movie, but you know what? I'm going to do it. Knives out, baby. Yeah, I love this movie. This movie (laughs) is um, what it did for me as a film fan. It, it is it is I I'm serious has put me where I am today I just I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I hadn't seen that out I'm genuinely serious it you know I had just seen like oh, no I, I just you know it was just kind of oh, I was just you know watching blockbusters, you know, action, all of that. It was fun, you know, and if they are, I don't regret enjoying those movies. Knives Out came along though, and the trailer was just so interesting to me where I was like, you know what, we're going to see this Thanksgiving Eve or whatever. And um, I watched it with my brother and my dad. We went to the theater to go see this movie. It was a really fun time, uh, really just a really fun time to spend with the boys, you know? And um, yeah, it was a blast to watch. I've since then seen it five more times. I own it on Blu-ray and this movie does not get old. It has um, the passed away Christopher Plummer. <laughs> My gosh. RIP, man. But uh, yeah, I, he's really good in this movie. Daniel Craig, I'm going to say it. Get someone out of here because Daniel Craig should have been nominated. This performance is gold. I, I'm sorry. It, it's a great performance. How do you not like Benoit Blanc? I mean, the best detective besides detect, Detective Summer Mills, Detective Summer and Brian Mills, of course, they are the, the OG for detectives, um, but Benoit Blanc is right there. He just creeping in the shadows, man. He's so good. Daniel Craig knocks out of the park. This cast is incredible. Anade Armas, I mentioned her, Blade Runner 2049. She is fantastic in this movie. Uh, she really is. Uh, I w- came out of this movie, really impressed with Daniel Craig, but was surprised the most by her performance because she really just I think she put on a great performance and I was not expecting it at all Michael Shannon's great Jane Lee Curtis is great uh Tony Colletti's great Don Johnson they're all fantastic the mystery smart it's a smart script made by a talented director who I think you know has I, I just didn't like Last Jedi I'm sorry Ryan Johnson um, I think he can understand that. He's a good enough guy, I think, where he can understand that. But um, Knives Out is one of my favorite movies ever. I hope that makes up for Ryan, makes it up uh, for, my, for my hopeful relationship with Ryan Johnson because uh, this I love this movie. It's clever. It's got a really fun score. I love this movie. It's such a fun time and hilarious, I might add. There you go. That's yep. my number 16. 15, right, so 15 halfway there, down. halfway there. 15, saw it coming, you know it was coming. Koyana Scott scene. I oh, was I, I was about wrong. This one I thought, recently. 
I thought this was number one. I swear, Patrick, you gotta quit messing with me like this. I thought this was gonna be your number one. I'm serious. I, I can't believe it. I, I would have bet money that this was gonna be at least in your top five. Whoa! Wow! Yeah, I I am so surprised. I at this point I give up. I, I don't know what the rest of Patrick's list is gonna consist of at all. But yeah, you really but, like, don't. You really don't. I, I don't. Okay, I, sorry. I'm nervous. Uh, I'm really nervous for the reputation this podcast is gonna have at this episode. Because this is what I'm no like Come just on, be nice. left and right. Like I'm just I'm really surprised. I'm loving how your list is going. Gun praise point on Scott T some more. Well, I've talked about it a lot. It really has to be experienced, and that's the word for it. You used that word for a couple of movies earlier. Uh, for me, this is an experience. Um, and it's unlike any movie I've ever seen before. Obviously, when I watch the sequels, those are gonna be somewhat similar but this originated them. And 1982, like, look, like, obviously 1982 is not like classic cinema, but for a movie of this kind of concept to come out in 1982 is pretty breathtaking. And the story behind it with Godfrey Reggio, his, his time in his monastery, re-entering the world, and then coming up with this, having this form in his mind, is um i think an overlooked story of cinema that is really cool um yeah, and i just have loved it for a couple months so or more than that longer yeah. than that um so that it's got to be on the list i yeah, know it's surprising like, that it's not higher yeah i love this movie too not as much as you obviously it's not on my list but it's a really good movie one of my favorite documentaries ever uh, i have a lot of respect for this movie just as an achievement in the documentary um, culture or medium. Uh, it's a really great, really great documentary with, the, of course, a fantastic and beautiful score by Philip Glass, which is really, which really resonated with me after the movie was over. But anyway, my number 15 is Inglorious Bastards. Um, not with an Ooh. A, but with an E. I don't know if anyone saw this movie, <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all I this. didn't, but I should have. Now that you say it, I should have seen this coming. <laughs> well, I love this movie. And so last night, uh, a little story here. I thought my dad was going to watch Little Things with me. Turns out he didn't. But we were waiting for Jude to go to bed. And Glorious Bastards was on TV. And I was like, you know what? I think this, I'm going to be talking about this movie tomorrow, so I'm going to rewatch it. And so I had it on for about an hour, and I got from like, you know, the the, the legendary bar scene in the basement to mm-hmm. you know the the party at Golami and all that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's oh my gosh, this movie is riveting. I don't get <laughs> how people could find this offensive. If you do. I'm I'm sorry I guess I, I I think this I don't think this movie is offensive the if you're offended by Tarantino coming in and blowing Hitler to smithereens I'm sorry there's nothing I could do for you I this is the beginning of Tarantino's rage phase 
where there's something bitter and angry about some of his movies, but they're of course incredibly fun. And in each of these Tarantino movies afterwards, you can feel some anger from Tarantino. And it's anger that I think we can all share. Uh, anger towards Hitler, anger towards slavery, anger towards Charles Manson. I think we can all share those angers. And I was, I was angry right with Tarantino when he was blowing Hitler up, man. I mean, you know, how can you not be? You know, this movie has a, there's a scene, they're watching Nation's Pride and a bunch of soldiers are getting blown up and Hitler is just sitting there chuckling. And that was the exact push I needed to be angry when Quentin Tarantino blew Hitler up, you know, and that is just, oh, Tarantino is a fantastic director. Obviously, I'm not breaking any ground by saying that. It's got one of the iconic Brad Pitt performances. Oh, good grief. I can't get enough of Brad Pitt in this movie. His accent is golden. It's genius. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. The performance is really good. Not I think people really like Eli Roth in this movie. I'm not the biggest fan of him. I just want to mention that. He did not impress me a whole lot in this movie. I've heard some love. You know, obviously, the him coming out with the baseball bat is pretty iconic. Uh, and it is glorious when he pounds that uh, Nazi soldier's head in. But um, he's not a big staple in this movie for me. But the performance is great. Michael Fassbender shows up for 30 minutes, kills it. He's so good. One of my new favorite movie quotes is Michael Fassbender lighting a cigarette and going, if you don't mind, before we, before we settle this pickle, I'm going to go out to speak of the Kings. That is brilliant. Michael Fassbender, British accentness. It's it's so great. Um, the performance is obviously Christoph Waltz. This is one of my favorite performances ever by him. Um, and just one of my favorite performances of all time. He is brilliant. The opening scene of this movie is obviously iconic for so many reasons. It's perfect. He's perfect in it. The score is great. Idio Morsion coming in here, not doing, not compiling the whole soundtrack, but coming in here just like crapping out brilliant pieces of music like that's what Morcion does like I don't know if he and Tarantino have this partnership here or something but he's able to just take a dump and it, his dump is is like gold <laughs> like from soundtracks it's, it's brilliant um oh man this movie is so great the, the, the bar scene I mentioned the tension is up to 11 it's above max you know it's I, I, I was holding my breath the entire time. It's, man, it's such, a, it's such a brilliant scene. This is textbook genius from Tarantino here. And I think we often forget how great this movie is. Um, but it, it, it's a classic Tarantino movie. And it's one of my favorites, without a doubt. There you go. Okay, I have to uh, apologize to our listeners because I made a terrible mistake and I'm a stupid, stupid boy. But <laughs> Ghost in the Shell, 1995, my next pick, Neon Genesis Evangelion, also began in 1995. And it's better. So therefore, Ooh. Ghost in the Shell, they're both sci-fi. They're different though. Obviously, Evangelion is more about mega sci-fi. 
ghost in the shell is you know ai whatever don't think about it don't talk about it um okay but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh Neon Genesis is not really a mecha anime at all, although it is the best mecha anime, which doesn't make any sense. But um, I think you agree when you watch it. It's really just about it's really just a character study about a kid who's on the brink of um, teenagehood, I guess, but really adulthood in general. And he's kind of just still figuring out life and um, the way the whole cast comes around him and uh you know helps him to that next level is totally human and amazing and you kind of even though it's weird because at the end when they lay into this part of the story they also lay into what they can do with animation they go very um uh this director uh kazuya Surumaki, or I don't know who's the main director on this, but he really leans into what animation can do as far as just like um, complete, just like fluidity between different styles of drawing and all kinds of things. But at the same time, while making it so obvious that it's animation, it makes it incredibly human in a way that um, a lot of animation um, has accomplished on smaller scales, but not like this. Um, I guess that's the best I can do for a summary. Yeah, like I said, been wanting to see this for a while. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. I'm definitely hoping to check it out soon since I finished Mindhunter. But uh, anyway, round number 14, Mad Max Fury Road. Don't know if anyone saw that coming either. And my love <laughs> for it has fallen a little bit since we last talked about this movie i would say it was like my number four and i gave this dumb speech but i was like you know patrick i'm one of my top 10 changes but my number my top four always stay the same and boy was i just <laughs> talking out of my butt because this like has dropped in places <laughs> but you know what it doesn't matter because this movie is fantastic i don't think you're gonna argue with me on that it's a really great action movie it's one of the perfect examples of character building through action there's a motorcycle action scene here where charlie Stern and tom hardy through this action scene create a mutual bond and never have i seen that before in an action movie that type of relationship born through action that's great that's Really great. I mean, we talked about Justice League, Snyder Cut, and all that. George Miller was supposed to direct the Justice League uh, some time ago. And you know what? <laughs> I don't know what that would look like. I've heard people say it's really crazy. I want to see it. Kick Zack Snyder out. I want to see George Miller's messed up, messed up Justice League. I, I want to see that, you know? Um, if Zack Snyder gets the case to the kingdom, why can't George Miller? Um, this guy is in his 80s and he's filming in a desert with real life stunts, cars blowing up. He's 85, people. So let me just say, don't be sure. Oh, you know, we, we wanted to do this action scene, but we you know it was too dangerous. We just, we couldn't put the stuntman in danger. I'm sorry. No stuntman died filming this movie. 
they're fine. They're I'm they're fine. So you know, as far so as I, you know. I guess, true. So they say. So they say. So they say. They haven't admitted to any stuff. <laughs> that is true, but um, I I mean, come on, get your butt out of your green screen and come on and film <laughs> some practical freaking stunts because that's what George Miller's doing, and my word, he crushes it here. He does such an amazing job with this action. It's the best action out there. I mean, there there's like two other movies that are that have better action than this. You know, it maybe you know it's in the top five. You know, it's that just that perfect area. You know, and um, that it is it is glorious the, the action in this movie. But it's also got some really powerful themes. I'm not a big fan of the falling down on my knees and crying, no! But what Charlie Theron does in this movie, it is riveting. And not many people could get uh, that kind of comment out of me from crying on their knees. Uh, but Charlie Theron did it, and she... Um, Talk about kick butt women. Charlie Starrett coming in here. Why? <laughs> Captain Marvel, you know, who cares? Oh, Furiosa. <laughs> Come on, people. She kicks tail this whole movie. Oh, my word. She's awesome. Uh, Tom Hardy's awesome as well. You won't get me to say anything bad about him. I liked him more than Mel Gibson, but maybe that's just me. Um, I understand why people are... are bigger fan of Mel Gibson as Max but man do I <laughs> that's the thing you say that you do but <laughs> I don't know I don't know the score is great by Junkie XL I, I really love the score it's they're drilling oh, yeah. pumping uh this movie is incredible and I love this world in the sickest way possible it's a crazy fun <laughs> ride I love it it's a great thing to witness. It really is. I wish I'd okay. seen this in theaters. Again, the contrast is strange. You you went with Mad Max. You went with the big, uh, the big stunts, the big action, the loud, the the intense, the electric, the emotional. And my next pick is Fishing with John by John Wood. <laughs> <Burr>, okay. <laughs> oh. Now hear me out. This is a show. It's a fishing show, okay? It really is a fishing show. And it's, first of all, it's the best fishing show of all time, okay? <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, it's one of the most underrated comedies, American comedies thing, uh, excuse me, American comedies that have been aired on television, I think. Um, John Lurie is a personality that, um, I never really get tired of watching. I love his music too with the lounge lizards. Um, and the other personalities here are great. I mean, Tom Waits, Willem Dafoe in one of the greatest episodes of television ever aired. <laughs> and, and then Dennis Hopper is next. And I know I skipped over one and uh, you'll see who it is if you watch it. Um, it's don't sleep on it because it's a, it's one of the slowest episodes, but it in it in its um, quiet it has a power, which is kind of it kind of goes without saying for this show because it is more of a low key um, show. But 
ah, oh, it's there, man. The cinematography is there. The character dynamics are there. The intertwining of fiction and reality is there. And the spotty thrown together nature is balanced with like, it, it almost seems like so precise in some moments that you can't like believe that they just kind of went out fishing and got this footage. Um, <laughs> but I, I love it. I, yeah. So good. I, I have nothing more to say. If you, even if you don't like fishing shows, this is the greatest. This is worth seeing, and it's on YouTube in very bad quality, terrible quality <laughs> image, but it's still great. It's still great with bad quality. It's also on the Criterion Collection if you want to get it in that <laughs> crystal clear, crystal clear quality. So worth seeing. Wow, well, my number thirteen is a uh, warrior starring Tom Hardy and Joel Egerton. Um, I saw this movie um, not really knowing what to expect going in, and I watched it with my brother and my parents, and I will say, you know, we were talking about Noah crying this whole episode. Well, this is the pinnacle <laughs> of Noah crying in a movie. Ladies and gentlemen, I have never cried so hard when in, than watching Warrior. Um, it really wrecked me by the end of it i mean ugly crying not beautiful crying like i normally do but this was ugly crying like really uh, just bawling 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 like i was so like messed up after watching warrior that when i went to the bathroom to blow my nose i i got the toilet paper and i threw it in a basket with other toilet paper. That is how like just sobbing I was. Like just I don't know if you can paint that picture, ladies and gentlemen, but that's no one crying really hard. The relationship between Tom Hart and Joel Edgerton in this movie wrecks me just every time I watch this movie. It it's so impactful. It's the best brother relationship in a movie um for me as a brother it really impacted me i related to tom hardy i related to jill edgerton it's this this really just ripped my heart out by the end just on how gut punching it was nick nolte's great um the mma fights are shot really well as a mma student i could kind of speak to a little bit of that and uh, they know their stuff, I think. Um, there, we did an episode on this, actually. You know, I did with my coach, and he likes this movie, too. I think he, there's a lot to like about Warrior. And um, people need to give this one a watch. I don't know if a lot of people have, but um, Gavin O'Connor can really do some great stuff. This is my favorite one of his. Man, this movie really gets me. It really, I, oh, it's... It's one that's even hard to describe. You just, for me, just as an older brother with the responsibilities that haven't placed upon me to look after my brothers and all of that, you know, to just to watch this relationship here, um, it, it's, uh, I, I can't put it into words without crying. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's really, it's a rough it's a good movie. Dude. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Yeah. So yeah, strong recommend. Uh, it's a brilliant movie. 
All right. All right. Number um, 12. Yeah. I got uh, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Um, I've been watching the movie uh, with my family every Christmas since I was like a little kid and like like five or six and um i mean there was there was a point i don't remember when it was where it stopped being just a christmas movie and it just became like one of the most unassailable movies in my opinion like it's um it's it's feel good um in a, a totally not corny way, which is, you know, sometimes an issue with uh, some older movies. I'll admit mm-hmm. they get corny. This one is completely, um, it's as real as it's fanciful. Doesn't make any sense. But um, <laughs> I love that all the angel elements, everything. Like, I love that part. Um, James Stewart, man. Oh, he's a genius. I love his- James Stewart. He's so good. Yeah, his performance in this movie really just has to be seen. Like, if if you're an audience member listening to this, please watch *It's a Wonderful Life*. Like, I, honestly, there are movies higher up on this list that I won't uh, urge you to watch as strongly as I will watch uh, or urge you to watch *It's a Wonderful Life*. I agree. Um, I I haven't seen a whole lot of Frank Capra, but to me, this is his masterpiece, and I don't think anything will change that just because of how deeply rooted into my psyche it is but I love this movie so much yeah this isn't even a movie that's on my list but it's one of the most important movies that people need to see like top 10 its message is just incredibly impactful and uh, the performances are fantastic but it's also a it can be a really sad movie but also can just fill you with tears and happiness at the same time and that that's the best type of movie really um my number 12 bong 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 exception <laughs> baby yes caprio yes zimmer nolan nolan hasn't come up yet patrick and i bet our audience was wondering you know Noah didn't he like nolan too he does like nolan <laughs> Good grief. Inception is a sneaking masterpiece. I love Inception. I've seen it half a dozen times and I pick up on something new every time. Um, I watched it a few weeks ago on Blu-ray and, excuse me, and I caught up on something new that was just like, no, very rare can a movie have that type of uh, legacy. And Inception is one of those movies that still gives me hope in the film community, that there's still hope that we can have respect for movies that make you think. Tenet came out nine years later, or 10, kind of disproved my theory, but um, I still think that there is an audience (laughs) out there, a massive audience, as this is a blockbuster, that um, for movies that make you think and you don't get first viewing, And Inception is the pinnacle of movies that might not make sense at first, but 100% makes sense. I'm watching Rick and Morty right now. And one of the first episodes of Rick and Morty is basically them like saying how Inception doesn't make sense. 
Inception makes sense, people. Don't be judging. It does. It, it really <laughs> does. You just have to think and use your brain. And the performances are great. Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, he, he's a very talented actor. And he's going to pop up later on in this list. And I'm going to let you, our audience guess what it's going to be. Um, I'll let Patrick guess. But uh, yeah, anyway, Inception looks great. It's got, all right, I'll say it, the best score ever by Hans Zimmer. This is my favorite score. It's got what a theme for um, for Leonardo DiCaprio and his wife, Maul, that is heartbreaking. It's sad. It's got Dream is Collapsing, an awesome song, Mombasa, an awesome kick butt song. Um, and then it's got Time, which transcends uh, music for film. It's a beautiful piece. The ending of this movie is top five favorite endings ever. It's fantastic. It fills me with tears, honestly. It's so just overwhelming. The beauty behind it, people miss sometimes on just the way Nolan leaves things off. It's kind of like what The Little Things was trying to do, I think, in a weird way, but yeah. gave too much away. And, and Inception messes with you a little bit. Obviously, there's the rumor about the wedding ring. And um, I think we could say that it was a dream. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to go ahead and say. That's what, I'm going to lay my cards on table. But I think that is a big, most powerful ending because it doesn't matter. And that's maybe kind of, it may kind of sound like <laughs> the film snobbery, but you know, it, it, it's really not. <laughs> it's not. The, that's a, when the answer, it doesn't matter works it's one of the most powerful answers to a film question i think so inception has some of the best yeah. set pieces best action best directing of uh, tom hardy is really fun in this movie i wish we got more tom hardy performances like this joseph gordon levitt he's really fun as well i'm not completely on board with him but he's good in this He's also good in 10 Things I Hate About You as well. Um, anyway, uh, see this movie if you haven't. It. It's, it's a classic. The fact that this movie was able to create the conversation it did gives me hope. It gives me hope. So number 12, Inception. All right, I got uh, my final Kubrick movie. Um, Doctor Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. <laughs> Rewatched this movie the other day and really knocked my socks off. Um, my favorite comedy of all time. Uh, the performances in this movie, um, like, the performances in this movie defy rational explanation in wow. the most unconventional <laughs> way bar. in the most unconventional way it really is um particularly george c scott um and i mean peter sellers in a in a different way peter sellers um he's so good this is his masterpiece this is it yeah is, this is, is the performance of a lifetime for him and George C. Scott, <laughs> I'm sorry? Performance is. 
Right, right, exactly. Uh, combined, I would say they are his the pinnacle uh, of his magnum opus. Yeah, yeah, and he is no uh, he's no shrimp in the acting community. Like as far as uh, respect goes, um, I so this is like a legendary performance to me. But George C. Scott is my favorite. George C. Scott um, gives this movie everything that it needs. Like it's a finely uh, tuned machine, this movie is. And George C. Scott is one of the most crucial ingredients. Um, Who, I'm I mean, sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you I, real quick. Who does he play? I, I don't remember all of the actors' names in this movie. Which character does he play? George C. Scott. He's the general that um, is like asleep with his secretary or whatever. Oh, I love forward. him in this movie. Oh, Kevin. Yeah, he's great. All right, all right, continue. Yes, um, sorry. Uh, it's, this is an unconventional, I think, uh, favorite Kubrick movie, but it is. And um, Kubrick is probably one of my favorite directors, if not my favorite director. Uh, and this movie honestly encapsulates why, even though Kubrick um, has gone to such heights since this movie, it's almost like it was just like an aftershock of this film. And maybe I'm like totally like blowing this out of proportion, but this is like the status that this movie has gained in my mind. It's a really great movie. It is one of my favorite comedies. It's a, I've already talked a little bit about it actually on this episode. So I won't, talk a little bit more about it but it's a yeah problem. i know you mentioned you mentioned it and i didn't say anything but i was like uh, i don't know <laughs> what he's gonna sneaky. think about that placement later <laughs> on <laughs> all right my number 11 it in a way it breaks my heart that it's not on my top 10 but i mean i've seen over a thousand movies people so i mean come on this it, it, this movie is still it's still done justice to uh the name of that movie is the social network um, it is, without a doubt, one of the greatest pieces of film writing you will find out there by my favorite writer, Aaron Sorkin, a main man. Um, he, he does some incredible stuff with this movie that is fantastic. They've been talking about doing a, the, like the second The Social Network. You know what? You get David Fincher, Jesse Eisberg, and Aaron Sorkin back. I don't think that's a bad idea at all. And I normally, I don't know if I would strike someone as the guy to say that. Normally, I don't want a sequel to every great movie. But there's a lot that's happened with Facebook that I think could make for a great movie. And if David Fincher can really pull out his torture kit, Mark Zuckerberg hasn't even seen Fincher at his best yet with how he can bash some people. So I'm on board with that for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the social network for me transcends, uh, I'm going to use that word, in a minor way, what a um, movie based on uh, an actual event can do. Um, I think this movie has a lot to say about the social network that is Facebook, that is Instagram, that is Snapchat, that is Twitter, you know, it, it makes excellent points. I don't think it bashes it hard enough frankly um 
just because of how toxic of an environment it is. And there's so much more to dive into that it's another reason why I would be open to a part two to this movie. Um, Jesse Eisenberg uh, is fantastic in this movie. I think after this movie came out, we expected him to go on to do greater things. He hasn't. This is still his apex. He hasn't given a performance that's even close to being this good. It's definitely not like Sleuthor. Um, he's, it's also got Rooney Mara, uh, possibly my favorite actress out there. Um, she's really good in this movie. The, that just the opening scene with those two is one of the best opening scenes you'll find out there. It perfectly encapsulates what this movie's about. Andrew Garfield, uh, to quote Mr. T, I pity the fool. <laughs> really, the, the pity is on Andrew Garfield in this movie. Uh, he's really good. Um, definitely, I don't know whether he or Eisenberg's better. They're just so evenly matched. And that's the best dynamic you want to have for two actors on screen. Aaron Sorkin can really write some courtroom scenes. And there is some of the best, the, I would say the best courtroom drama in a movie ever here, you know, you have the bare minimum, you know, it's so great. It, it's great. And Justin Timberlake, who would say that he's like fantastic in this movie? I know I wouldn't have thought that when I got into watching The Social Network, um, but it's true. It, it really is. He is fantastic in this movie. I'm, I'm going to say The Social Network is possibly the most rewatchable movie you will find. I've seen this movie seven times and I will watch it again. It is an absolute blast from start to finish. The directing by Fincher is of course incredible. I mean, how can I argue with this guy on his great directing? It's it's brilliant. It, it really is. It's also fun too. It's really funny. It's a funny movie. Um, and one more thing, the score by Trent Reznor and Anikis Rodas, it beat... Hans Zimmer and for Inception. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I don't think I feel bad though. Because this score is one of the best out there. It's a really good score. I have I love Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross after uh, watch, after watching this movie. Their work with the Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl could and soul continued my love for them. Um, they're brilliant here. This is um, music that you put on just when you're concentrating and that's some of the best type of music. Just when you're really wanting to get down into something, you put on handcuffers bruise and da, 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 and boom, you're in the zone. The social network soundtrack puts you in the zone and that's, some of the best music you can find. This is a brilliant movie. I'm sad I couldn't get my top 10. I think people are going to understand though, because this top 10, I'm pretty proud of. I don't think people are going to argue with it. But um, anyway, number 10, or, or any thoughts about The Social Network, Patrick? Great movie, great performances. I agree with everything you said. All right, then, number 10. We're at the, we're getting close to the apex, the peak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my number 10 is um, my final Quentin Tarantino on this list, Pulp Fiction. Um, Heck yeah, baby. 
Haven't seen it, but I bet it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't say much about it. Like, I the, the one thing I could say is it's one of like the grimiest and nastiest movies about uh, a spiritual journey, like a truly like um, important uh, moment in someone's life that is just surrounded by a lot of fun, you know, a lot of crazy stuff going on. It's all good. It's all entertaining. It's one of the most entertaining movies um, to watch. It's, it, it, I definitely, Jean-Luc Godard was doing some of what Pulp Fiction does. Like, I mean, Quentin Tarantino has cited his inspiration, um, but like that was in France in like the sixties and no one paid attention. Who cares, to it. Like, right? This is, Right, like this is Pulp Fiction in 1994. Um, wow, 1994, this movie came out. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love the performances. Samuel L. Jackson made him a star, and he is a legend now. Um, Uma Thurman is in it. I mean, The Bride is like an iconic performance, but like this Mia is even more iconic. The dance, there's so, I mean, that is a good word for the movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is one I have yet to see, and I'm ashamed of it. You know, it's like a, it's like a scar on me. I've been I'm trying to hide it every day, but still haven't seen Pulp Fiction. And um, yeah, I'm not proud of it, but yeah, I can attest to Quentin Tarantino's mastery. My number ten, though, is a movie that I think is maybe a little more iconic i don't know we'll have to see star wars 1977 baby um i'm a star wars fan guys and uh i don't always vocalize that on the show but i'm a big star wars fan and i think people often dismiss how great of a movie star wars is both one and two they're really i mean this really well-written movies and people, people forget that. And I think they often just say, you know, oh, you know, just great world building and that. But characters and writing, pretty basic, bro. No, 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 no. Star Wars is great, people. It, it really is. The series, everything. I don't care. Attack of the Clones and Last Jedi, they suck. But you know what? I love them anyway, <laughs> in a weird, in a weird way. Um, but Star Wars is for me. I can't find a single nitpick with it. It's great classic storytelling. Luke Skywalker is one of my favorite protagonists out there because he's the type of protagonist I personally can transmit myself into and feel like I'm the one looking at that sunset every time I watch this movie. And Luke goes off gazing at the twin sons on Tatooine. I can't help but get a little misty. It's, it is so just, it, I'm really nostalgic about this movie, honestly, obviously, you know, how can you not be nostalgic about Star Wars? Um, I mean, it's, it practically invented the word nostalgia, but um, it, man, it's, it's funny. People forget that Harrison Ford is hilarious in this movie. So is Princess Leia. Um, 
It's got great classic adventure storytelling. The movie holds up visually, even though there are, there's, of course, some things you can nitpick with, uh, with its visuals. It still is as strong as ever. Uh, I think in many movies, they'll come close to the type of world building this movie has, um, except for maybe something that comes after this one, but we'll uh-huh. see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, this movie, it really, I don't watch it always. I don't just, I don't always just constantly put this movie on. It, for me, Star Wars is just something that has to age like fine wine. And when you let this movie sit for a little while and come back to it, uh, for me, I am reminded that this is for me one of the greatest movies of all time. And, um, and uh, yeah, I uh, have had to defend myself a few times, and uh, I'm going to st- talk a little bit more about that later on. But uh, yeah, you know, Star Wars. Great John Williams score, by the way. Anyway, Patrick, number nine. Number nine. My number nine is uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc from 1928. Um, I mean, the story of The Passion of, or of the story of Joan of Arc is legend. Um, and I am kind of like naturally inclined towards myth. I like it a lot. It's my favorite thing about Star Wars is the roots of it. Um, but Joan of Arc is like, it's a movie that while you're watching it, it feels like it's either, not that it shouldn't exist, but it almost feels like it doesn't exist. Like it can't, but your senses are like, they are against that conclusion. Um, the acting is, uh, the acting is like, it's it's almost German expressionistic, which I know is like, I mean, it's kind of, it seems almost over the top, but really I feel like this is what acting should be um, in general. I mean, I definitely have uh, movies higher up on this list that have more traditional style of acting, but this is the acting that transcends like time. I mean, the, the fact that wow. this movie came out in 1928 and is this impactful uh, is I think the best testament to its power. And it was almost lost. This movie got, bur- the original negative for this movie got burned up twice that just goes to show you first how flammable film is and second of all like how fortunate we are that this film survives in its original format it was sent off to like some like mental institution so like a doctor could watch it because he was like a film like a history buff and that's (laughs) how the original cut of the movie survived it was it was edited recut destroyed but we still have it oh my goodness yeah. Um, my number nine. All right. So I hinted really great world building. I'm going to let you get one guess on what I mean by really great world building. What Queen do you think? The return. No. It's Lord of the Rings. Yes, Lord of the Rings. Star Trek. There's two, <laughs> two guesses. There's two guesses, but you hey. know what? Okay. Lord of the Rings. I'm doing the whole. The whole bloody trilogy, Patrick. All right, Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. Um, you know what? I watched this movie um, two days ago with the whole family, 
and uh, which we don't all do often. Everybody was there though, and um, fellowship of the ring. And you know, it it took my breath away. It 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 really did. I was I I couldn't be more impressed with what this trilogy does. Um, I'm reading the Lord of the Rings book right now for school, which I'm just thankful for because that book has lasted as long as it has, is uh, really just impressive to me as a fan of that series and a fan of this movie series. Uh, I haven't seen the Hobbit movies. I know you like them, right, Patrick? They're okay. People really hate on them. They're not that bad, but I mean, Lord of the Rings is a different caliber. Definitely, yeah. Lord of the Rings, for me, will definitely always be where it's at. Gandalf, baby. I was so impressed with Gandalf rewatching Fellowship of the Ring. There are very few movie characters better than Gandalf. I mean, <laughs> tail the whole movie. Dialogue and action-wise, he's awesome mm -hmm. um strider is great legolas is great gimli is great sam and frodo oh my word they're great too marion pippin man it's for people who haven't seen or read lord of the rings you're probably thinking i'm spouting off like another language mary pippin strider and gandalf like who are these people they're some of the best movie characters ever that's what i'll say the the movie Amen. looks the movie looks great the score is beautiful it perfectly encapsulates every section of middle earth that we go to from the shire to um where to the land of Elrond or whatever it's called. I still don't have all those names memorized, but I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying. Um, but, but it's a beautiful score. It's Howard Shore's masterpiece without a doubt. Um, that I think what people often forget is the emotional impact this trilogy has by the end with Return of the King. I mean, I may not be able to carry the ring, but I can carry you! You know, I mean, how... Mm -hmm. Do you beat that? That one got me in tears, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> the theme, I like, like I say again, but um, this is an incredible trilogy. It is the best trilogy of movies there is. It is the best. I love that original Star Wars trilogy, but Return of the Jedi is not five stars. And every movie in this Lord of the Rings trilogy is five stars. The action's great as well. I want to say the Helm's Deep top five battle ever just masterpiece i mean that is textbook for staging a battle people need to study that to understand how a battle works it's incredible it's incredible <laughs> all right number oh, eight. um yeah i was just gonna let dude i just wanted you to keep talking about lord of the rings honestly um, um i have cowboy bebop here yeah. and uh if you've been following the show you know i just finished it recently uh, I bought it. It was $5 on Amazon. This show, show, it astounds me. It's one season for $5. It astounds me how inexpensive the finest art that comes out <laughs> on 
mm. on film and television is like it doesn't doesn't matter how great a movie is it's like it's like okay so with a painting right if a painting is really great Whoa, the price goes way up but with a film if a film is really great the price is the same as like minions too like it doesn't make any sense but i'm but i'm happy i'm happy mm. that it's the case but it's just astounding anyway cowboy bebop um <laughs> Whoa, we every time i mention the title <laughs> what we just went on a roller coaster there on the prices of entertainment. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, uh, it's great. Um, I look, I know you, I've been trying to kind of bring you into anime because I grew up with anime a little bit. It was during my formative years that I started watching Naruto and some shows oh that are really great. <laughs> Like, like Death Note, some shows that I'm really ashamed of that I won't mention, but mostly shows that I really enjoyed and that have really great stories and characters. Cowboy Bebop is the ultimate example of what the genre can do with character story in an episodic um, format. Um, every story is self-contained and entertaining on its own, but the journey that the characters take throughout the season is its own animal and they are they're juxtaposed intentionally because so like obviously we're following the characters of the bebop okay and kind of like an old western show which i also grew up loving lone ranger like all of these shows you know the hero comes into town there's some kind of something that needs to get sorted out some kind of something hero sorts it out exactly the hero sorts it out and then rides off victorious whatever in this show they show up, something has to be done. Usually it doesn't end up right or it doesn't end up how you thought it should or was going to, but they still have to walk away at the end of the day. And these, it, it, the show highlights how these stories that these characters are getting involved in, they're, these characters are all removed for whatever reason. They all have backstories that have kind of taken them out of like the main highway of life, I would say. And they're coming across these people who are caught up in um, real drama with other people. And while sometimes they can help those people, you know, on varying levels, they are never able to address their own issues until later on in the season when they start to come across things that bring them back to their past. Um, I mean, different characters for different reasons are kind of removed from that it's like a past life that they don't even uh connect with anymore but they're forced to because they know that this new life is for them to deal with that old one and that is epitomized in the main character spike whose arc in this show is so cool so effortless and so well written this show is very well written by the way for an anime <laughs> like even i say it with a little bit of disgust but like this show is well written and the animation is sublime. The stories are great. I mean, some episodes are better than others. I'll admit it's not like a perfect ride, but it's so close. I love it to death. Yeah. Well, not much I can add to that, obviously, because I haven't seen the show, but I'm trying, I'm trying. So don't judge me, everybody. Adult Swim for free. It's on Hulu for free, so. 
There you go. <laughs> um, anyway, my number eight. All right, guys. Give me the gut. Number eight. I feel it coming. Give me the gut. Oh. Heat, baby. <laughs> Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Michael Mann, Val Kilmer, Moby, baby. I mean, how do you beat this movie? I, I, I don't understand it. Obviously, some movies have because I have seven more here. But obviously, I mean, come on. This movie is a stinking masterpiece. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't nominated for a single Oscar. Every, the, every Oscar votee or whatever who had to vote on the Oscars that year is going to have to live with that for the rest of their life. That they didn't vote on Heat for best picture. I am ashamed to be called a human that he did not at least get nominated. Al Pacino got snubbed. So did Robert De Niro. Anyway, I know Patrick is at this point really tired of me talking about how no, I certain, love movies, he. <laughs> certain movies got snubbed, but I'll tell you, makes me mad. Anyway, Heat is a masterpiece. It's really fun. Obviously, it's it's got some two of the best actors you're going to find in the filmmaking business. I don't say that often, but Rob De Niro and Al Pacino <laughs> are fantastic. This movie made Al Pacino my favorite actor. Um, truthfully, he is. He's incredible. This is my favorite Al Pacino performance. It's not his best, but it is um, certainly um, just an incredible performance, and it is my favorite he is fully into this movie. So is Robert De Niro, more subtle, but equally as skilled. Um, it's great. The themes for these two characters, the writing, it's top notch. Great character writing. Michael Mann is so good at writing characters. He did it with Collateral. He's, he did it with Heat. Um, it's, it's, I mean, just, round of applause to him he's just so great at writing characters and the way he stages la is beautiful the action the score by moby the the end with the um god moving over the face of the water or whatever song it is um is a beautiful piece of music juxtaposed to a beautiful scene um it's it's incredible i the movie's two hours and 50 minutes. It feels like two. The movie has the, the bank heist happens in the middle of the movie. It's not a spoiler. It's in the middle of the movie. And for any other movie that beat the ending, but with Heat, it gets even better. And it's very rare for a movie to do that. On all, the only other movie that does that is The Dark Knight. That's the only other movie I can think of that has so, something like that. And spoiler alert, that's a pretty high praise, as people might guess. But um, yeah, I just uh, man, Heat is it. It's it's top dollar character writing. It I love these characters. I, I really do, and I'm torn by the end of the movie on who I want to come out on top. That's great writing. 
it's it's it really is. Michael Mann's a great director. He's a great writer, and this movie's just so cool. I mean, Al Pacino, Rob De Niro, they are cool in this movie, and uh, definitely Al Pacino cracking some one-liners here that are hilarious. He is comedic gold in this movie, and I have given a thousand bad Al Pacino impressions, but I'll tell you, I will do it till I die. I'm telling you, whoever is next to me when I pass away, you will hear. By that time I get to Phoenix, you'll be rising. I can feel your note right on the door. I mean, he's great, guys. He is great. And so is Rob De Niro. Val Kilmer's great as well. This is my favorite Val Kilmer performance. He's great. This movie encapsulates the LA spirit, I think. And I haven't even been there. So maybe that maybe that <laughs> says a little bit. But um, yeah, it's incredible. I love Heat. I've got the Blu-ray and um, I'm so excited to see it because I imagine the, the quality is just going to be beautiful because this movie looks beautiful digitally, uh, which is fantastic. There you go. I love Heat as well. I, you can defend Heat till the day you die. I love that you love that movie so much because <laughs> I really do too. I really do too. Um, my next movie uh, is bringing me, I feel, into the danger zone of being a stereotype. But I'm going to just stay true to myself, even if I am a stereotype, and say that my next movie is Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa. Whoa! Um, that coming either. Yeah. Believe it. Believe it, brother. I love The Magnificent Seven. Um, it was one of my favorite movies when I was like in, uh, well, I don't know, like sixth grade and onward. Like I went back to it sporadically, but I always loved it. And this is clearly better. Like this is... Um, <laughs> It's almost light years ahead of that story, which I already love the story, so I'm already engaged there. But the acting, every character is amazingly lovable. Um, this movie is really funny. I didn't see that coming. I didn't think it was going to be so funny. Every character is really warm, and um, the whole movie is really warm. It's just kind of a joyous movie, which I really wasn't expecting at all. Like, I don't, I thought it was going to be like this really serious epic, but it's such a joyous movie. And then the ending leaves you so cold by comparison that for a second, the movie was over. And I was like, wait, that's it? Like that's <laughs> Seven Samurai? Like that's how it ends? Because I'd heard so much. And then I thought about it and I was like, wow, like I want to start it again. Like I want to go through that again. Um I love it. I highly recommend it. It's great. Uh, the runtime is not even worth mentioning, so I'm sorry that I just did, uh, but that's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. Well, that is one that I also have uh, on my watch list as well, and one I really hope to see soon. Um, all right. I think my, my number seven, this is my Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Patrick, what do you think this Leonardo DiCaprio movie is going to be? I'm thinking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Heck yeah, baby. It's Once Upon a Time in oh. Hollywood. Run out of the gate. Look, oh, you could not make this movie 
uh, 50 years later. You know why? Because the Hollywood right now, you can't paint that as positive. <laughs> you can paint 60s <laughs> Hollywood as nostalgic. And man, to see Quentin Tarantino at this kind of, um, almost in awe of this era is really just a joy to watch as him being a director that we have so much respect for, to see him in awe that's something pretty great. And we don't see that often to see a director in awe of something else. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh my gosh. I haven't seen Joker yet. I'm, and I've mentioned that I haven't seen it before, but I'm telling you, Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix better bring his A game for that movie because I honestly, I've been, I do not think he's going to be better than Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie. Leonardo DiCaprio is hilarious and he's emotional and you're and he's passionate. And Leo does not make a lot of movies. Um, I I mean, what was like Wolf of Wall Street and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I mean, hey, that's a great track record. Like, what is it like? <laughs> like Inception. I think the Revenant's. I think the Revenant sandwich. Oh yeah, Revenant, it's still a great track he goes, record. He goes Django, Wolf of Wall Street. Revenant. Should have won. The, yeah, Maybe should not have won. <laughs> he's good in Revenant. I'll stand by Revenant. He no, he's good. He, all right, sorry. sorry, he's good. Revenant in Wall Street. Street. That's a Once upon a time in Hollywood. That's a really great track record to have. Like that's a really great streak. And um not many, and you know, you kind of go, like, Oh, well, he was just hiding till he found the great movie. Well, that's a smart career movie. <laughs> Leo's meant for certain roles, and he really just is meant for this role. He he owns it as Rick Dalton. And I'll tell you one thing that scene with him finishing shooting, and that little girl coming up to him and telling him that that was the best acting he'd ever seen. And Leonardo DiCaprio got this, he's got tears in his eyes, like he. That is an Oscar-winning performance. And what's so unfortunate is 2019 was such a great year. Any other year, he'd have won. Any other year. Mm. Because, dang it, Todd Phillips and Joaquin Phoenix came in and <laughs> lost that Oscar. I'm telling you, it was neck and neck. But anyway, he kills it. And what's unfortunate is he's overshadowed culturally by Brad Pitt in this movie, who's fantastic, obviously obviously is great this is kind of the quintessential brad pitt performance when you say brad pitt you think of this type of performance and i don't even know if he's really acting in this movie i think he's just kind of doing brad pitt but it i love it i mean i am a brad pitt fan for sure and this movie has definitely set me on the brad pitt uh uh, fandom train or whatever um but he's very good in this movie and uh he's so much fun this movie is fun and from start to finish it, it's never not fun and that that it's that is so great to have a movie like that that is just this that it reaches this level of just pure joy and nostalgia but also not feeling like a copycat or anything like that or or a fraud or something like that. The, 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 the way he shoots Hollywood is gorgeous. It looks so beautiful. And uh, it gets me just nostalgic thinking about 
Quentin Tarantino being nostalgic about Hollywood. Like, <laughs> that's great. That's great. But um, it's also really uh, intense in that one scene, which people who have seen the movie will know at Spawn Ranch. Really tense scene with a really great payoff that I didn't see coming. Perfectly subverted expectations. Margot Robbie, I don't understand why this role was bashed. People were like, oh, should get enough screen time and dialogue. This is Quentin <laughs> you know, paying respect to Sharon Tate. And y'all are taking a dump on it? Come on. Sharon Tate is meant to be a spirit going in and out of this movie. That's genius. That's a genius move. And uh, the, the, the soundtrack's great. It's so much fun. And um, the end of this movie, which is astounding and hilarious and incredibly violent, um, is great. I mean, when Rick Dalton freaking brings out that flamethrower, I was cracking up. It's hilarious. And you know what? Like I said with Glorious Bastards, this is Quentin Tarantino taking his anger out on the people who murdered Sharon Tate. Uh who is a Hollywood icon now because of these murders, you know, and that that's very unfortunate. You know, also me watching, I'm gonna go back to Mindhunter for a little bit, you know, because there is a Charles uh, a Charles Manson interview in that show, and uh, I have to say the way uh, Charles Manson is kind of painted in this movie. I'll say is a little stereotypical to what I think is a little more complex, um, but it is still very, very effective uh, in the movie. And I mean, it, it, whether you it's complex or not, the, the dude is awful. And it, I'm just mad that Brad Pitt's dog didn't buy Charles Vance's balls and rip him apart too. But Brad Pitt's really funny in the end of this movie too. And just the end, Rick Dalton going up to see Sharon Tate at the end and that really whimsical music playing in the background. I mean, oh my gosh, it's it's cinematic perfection. And that is glorious to watch. I was amazed by Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've seen it four times since I saw it. And um, it's my favorite movie of 2019, a movie I think, a year that I think is one of the best I've seen. So there you go. Can add to that, man. That's a great analysis. Love it. Um, Number six. I've, I've got, yeah, I've got another one that I mentioned recently on the podcast. Um, it's by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Oh, the Cohen brothers. I'm gonna guess. Look, the Cohen brothers. Go ahead. Bill is crossing. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, the, look, the Cohen brothers switch up their style. Look, they have like, um, they have their marks on each of their movie that are recognizable, but they switch up their style pretty dramatically. I mean, No Country for Old Men, and then what was that one with Nicolas Cage? Like uh, the baby one. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, um, um, oh my gosh, Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. Yes, Raising Arizona. Like, come on, that is. That chasm is like the genius of Joel and Ethan Cohen. Yeah. But for me, Miller's Crossing is just the best. And I think everyone is going to have their favorite Cohen Brothers movie. And um, 
it's <laughs> I already said it, but it's Miller's Crossing for me. Um, there's so many great lines. Up is down, black is white. Does he want a pillow for his head? Uh, <laughs> um, it's a question of ethics. Like this is also my favorite gangster movie. Wow. Um, which is saying something I know there because there are some legendary gangster movies, but I maybe it's because I'm not a particularly um, avid gangster fan that I love this one so much. But I think avid gangster fans will appreciate it because it has that old timey natural um, gangster slang. Just full, it's chock full of gangster slang. It's like bursting at the seams with gangster style, but. <laughs> That's just the first viewing. Like after the first viewing, you go back and you're like, I want some of that gangsta slang. And then you go and you're like, wait a minute, this is way more than the writing that knocked my socks off the first time. And it and then it just gets better from there. So far, I've seen it three or four times and it has gotten better every time. Um, or at least my love for it has grown every time. Obviously, it's the same movie. Uh, but yeah, highly recommended. I want some of that gangster slang. <laughs> oh yeah, brother, the gangster slang. All right, well, 2001: A Space Odyssey is my number six. Um, Kubrick has not showed up on this list, even though I love him dearly. But I mean, come on, this is a pretty high spot, and Kubrick is taking the number six spot here, and um, man. 2001, you know, I remember watching this movie for the first time. It was a pretty special day. It was uh, my, it was the, like, I think the eighth or something year of the, the day I accepted the Lord in my heart. You know, we had just, we had a little celebration, we had a little dinner, and then I was like, okay, so I'm going to go, and I'm going to go watch a movie. Anybody want to watch a movie with me? And everyone's like, no. I was like, Really? No one's going to watch a movie with me. I'm like, no, I'm going to bed. I was like, well, okay. And so I was like, well, they can kiss it. I'm watching 2001 A Space Odyssey. No idea what this is about, but I've heard good things. So I watch it and man, you just don't come across many movies this great. And um, I don't think sometimes people won't get this movie. I don't get this movie some, some of the time just with that ending and all that which is just the best some of the one of the best final 30 minutes of a movie ever is the final 30 minutes of 2001 the space odyssey not even joking it, it's it's fantastic and the performances are actually pretty good like they, we're not to, we don't even think think about them but to get this uh the what cubic is going for here to get that out of these actors, I think it's very impressive. And, um, you know, obviously, How My Thousand is iconic. The monolith is iconic. I mean, there's so much iconic imagery here that it just blow your mind. The movie looks like it was shot yesterday. Not even joking. I, I, I'm, I'm serious. And Patrick can attest to this. Like, it looks crystal clear. I, I don't know oh, yeah. how on earth Kubrick did this. It, it, it honestly this is like it makes me think like this is some sort of spiritual movie like i don't know how you get a movie that has this emotional impact looks this good 
and like was made. I mean, let me look here. 1968. I mean, come on. Like, I've seen movies that come out in the 70s and have are, are much more fuzzier and have a lot more film grain than is needed, you know. And you know, I love film grain, but when you get this clear, <laughs> when you get this clear, it's oh, it's incredible. Like, I mean, I don't know how Kubrick did this, but props to him, man. I mean, that's that is directing power and the imagery is so powerful so metaphorical and i don't know what happened in that ending but i know it scared the crap out of me on when i first saw it, it really i mean you we don't often think of the ending of 2001 as being scary but it was for me on that first viewing uh creepy old man can really freak me out and there's a creepy old man at the end of this movie uh just the cuts are jarring uh in the best way possible and the score is beautiful uh and the just the shot of the uh the, like what is it the earth the, there's like the moon the sun or whatever the sun the earth the moon <laughs> i don't know but it's so beautiful this movie fills me with tears every time i see it it's such an emotional gut-punching ending man i i, I love 2001 a space odyssey there you go. It's, it's a legend. <laughs> it is. It is a legend. It's a great pick. Great pick, man. Uh, I love it. Number five. Uh, I. Oh, yeah, okay, number ahead. five. Um, Blade Runner, 1982 Whoa. by Ridley Scott Whoa. is my number five. I kind of teased it with 2049. There was a time when I first watched Blade Runner in 2049 where Blade Runner didn't quite connect with me, and 2049 I thought was better. Uh, I've been proven very much wrong, and I put my foot in my mouth when I ever uh, stated that opinion, because Blade Runner breaks me down. Um, it's the beauty of Vangelis' score is not really from this earth. Um, Harrison Ford, you know, he's great. He's classic. He's not um, what makes the iconic movie. images. He is in a way. In a way, he he carries it. Like he is the protagonist that is that fits this movie. He is the protagonist that needs to be in this movie. This movie doesn't work without Harrison Ford. But I see what you mean. Like the Tears and Rain speech, that whole side of it, that is what gets me emotionally. Like, I'm sorry, that's what I'm, like, I know it's stereotypical, but that's one of my favorite lines. I don't blame you, man. I get any... to read about it, too. Rutger Howard brings it. It's so good. It really is. I, it's so oh. close to cracking my 30. And honestly, I'm going to rewatch it at some point. I'm going to regret it. I'm going to wait another year. <laughs> yeah, me too, dude. Like, this list is going to change, like, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Blade Runner got so good. Yeah, the the Tears and Rain speech, Patrick, is the oh man, it's one of the best monologues out there. It's so good. It's so good. I could listen to the audio of that and tear up. It's so good. Um, anyway, my number five. <laughs> my number five um, is City Lights 
by Tri Chaplin. Um, so you mentioned earlier, Patrick, you know, uh, movies that, you know, held you together at a certain time. This is what City Lights did for me, you know. This was kind of in the middle of the pandemic where everything was uncertain, you know, and really I was at a point where everything just looked awful. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit like, you know, seeing some great movies, but they weren't exactly what I'd call uplifting. And, uh, you know, I'd heard of Charlie Chaplin. I'd seen the kid and really liked it. Uh, City Lights was the most highly rated one. And I think the one you liked the most as well. So I checked it out and um, was just so overwhelmed by how brilliant the movie was. Just how pure and joyous it is. I'm sure people are tired of hearing me talk about how joyous uh, and beautiful and happy City Lights is, but it's the truth. And I love it dearly for that. And after after watching the movie, I continued to watch Chaplin um, basically till I went back to school. <laughs> uh, I watched Chaplin short films, read Charlie, Chap Charlie Chaplin's autobiography, um, continued to go through Chaplin. And this guy kept me going for a really long time. I owe him an unpayable debt. And uh, I really owe him a lot. And you don't get that type of um, director. And uh, in a way, David Fincher has kind of taken that spot in a different way, more uh, aiding me with my creative spirit while Chaplin kind of helping me with just my, my joyous spirit, you know? And it uh, sounds really hokey pokey and all of that, but you know, it, it's just yeah, hot into me. And it's my relationship with, with this yeah. medium really. And um, yeah, this is such a happy movie. It's a funny movie. The ending really brought me down to tears, but this is great directing also. I mean, just really fun, well-shot movie. Uh, Chaplin's a genius. He's probably the first great film director. And um, since then, we've had, a, we've had a whole lot more, but he's remained my second favorite for sure. Venture kind of being my favorite right now, but he's remained the uh, quint one of the quintessential directors for me. Awesome. All right. Number three is number four. the, or number four, really? Wait, no, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're, wait. No, I just said my number okay. five. So you're is number four. You're number four. Do I have 30 movies on this list? Because I'm on number three. Okay, I might have to improvise a little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, um, yeah, I think we're on four. It's all right. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out at the end. Okay. Um, okay. I actually, I have a backup plan. If I, if I am jumping the gun a little bit, then I will be able to rectify it. Trust me. Um, but whatever number it is, uh, doesn't really matter. Orpheus by Jean Cocteau is the movie that I watched this week. Um, it was gonna be mentioned on my uh, film that I watched recently. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's based on the myth of Orpheus, like very, it's, it, it's sounds very basic, um, 
and it is pretty straightforward, kind of a minimalist story, but it's this, there's so much surrealism in this movie that is um, can only be accomplished through film. And the, I mean, you want to talk about practical effects. This is the movie of practical effects that I will never get tired of. I already know it. Like I've watched it once. I want to own it. I want to watch it so many more times. Um, it's okay. Um, Maria, I'll try to break it down. Maria Casares, I believe. I don't know which one's which, honestly, because their names are so annoying and un-English. But um, whoever plays death in this movie uh, should have won an Oscar or some kind of award or whatever. Like someone needs to give her some kind of gold for this performance because um, she carries so much power in such a simple, like, her movements are not um, are not overstated at all, but she has such a presence that I honestly rarely see in movies. Um, and the rest of the cast is great. Um, ah, I wish I could I wish I could call them by name, but um, I mean, let's see. Uh, I mean, my love this movie may be due to like how recently I watched it, but it's just kind of like, it, it was one of my uh, most immersive film experiences that I've had in a while. And that's something that I kind of struggle with sometimes. I struggle to surrender myself to like a film and let it uh, engage my senses in that way. But this movie um, broke down my walls, broke down my barriers and got inside of my head and uh, just worked its magic, and it's true movie magic, and I love it to death. And wow. beyond. <laughs> oh, terrible pun. What a terrible way. What a terrible way to end my, ah, terrible. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Don't Move know what you're thinking, We'll have to, just think, we'll have to brainwash our audience and think that never happened. Anyway, my oh, number yeah, four. Now they're all just thinking about Toy Story. Ugh. <laughs> Whoa! Toy Story is not an ugh. How dare you? Anyway. Oh, I mean Infinity and Beyond. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, me, my number four is The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan, and I'm not breaking much new ground by saying that. I will say this movie used to be a lot higher, meaning two notches higher on my uh, on my kind of quintessential favorite movie list. Um, it's, uh, man, it, I've just, you know, gone out to see much greater things, but it's got nothing to do with this movie being bad at all. This movie is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It's the best superhero movie. It's got one of the best performances by Heath Ledger. Um, may he rest in peace, obviously. Um, it's got a great Christian Bale performance, my favorite Gary Ullman performance. One of the great Hans Zimmer scores, uh, great Nolan directing, one of the great interrogation scenes. My One of my favorite scenes of all time is Batman interrogating the Joker. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant scene. Um, there's a lot of 
nitpicks i think sometimes this movie gets to the final act which i disagree with i think it's very good especially the toothpaste the two-faced stuff um the new rachel doss um maggie gyllenhaal um i like her more than i did katie holmes she has a moment where she's a little a little too pricklish a little too sassy but other than that i think she's really really good in this movie and i really am um really love her performance and you really it's really a gut punch uh the end it, it really is and i was i've often questioned whether my love for this movie is is really true or if it's just kind of some illusion i've set for myself and i uh i think it was like christmas day or whatever we popped this movie on for a few minutes and i saw that opening bank i was like nah nah this movie is still still incredible it, it really is and uh i don't know if it'll always last but you know what it 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 it, it, it is for right now you know it, it is for right now and, and i'm fine with that i think this movie's a brilliant work of art it and uh has so many great great themes for the superhero genre and um just for i guess kind of being a hero really so yeah, I think The Dark Knight is one of the most important movies of its decade, and um, its legacy seems to be holding strong. So I'm thankful for that. All right, we're getting close to the end. Do you feel it? I feel it. We're you feel the three. Oh. All right. All right. <laughs> oh, same. Oh, same. Sorry. <laughs> oh, dude. Okay. Okay, you need to finish Arrested Development because the last season is like kind of okay, but be, but like for Arrested Development, it's pretty good. I, I did finish it with Madeline, so you need to finish. Sorry, that's uh, that's something from the last season. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, my, <laughs> my next movie is Once Upon a Time in the West by Sergio Leone. Whoa, the Ennio love Morricone. Wow. The love, look, the love never left. That's, what, like that's where did. you're wrong. The love never came back. I mean, it did, it did have to come back because it was always there. When did, when did it leave? What do you mean? <laughs> anyway, it's great. Look, this is, my, this is my Desert Island movie. If I could only watch one movie for the rest of my life, it would be Once Upon a Time in the West. If I could only own one movie, obviously it's the same. Um, just... Just everybody who's watching or listening, please uh, watch this movie. Um, you may not like it as much as I do. In fact, you probably will not, but uh, you need to see it anyway, okay? I'm forcing it on you. Uh, Claudia Cardinelli, Charles Bronson, Jason Robards, okay? All culminating with Henry Fonda, one of the greatest performances oh, ever. And I mean, Jason Robards, one of the greatest performances ever. Charles Bronson, one of the greatest performances ever. But Henry Fonda takes the cake by an inch, um, by the nose, as they say. And Claudia Cardinelli holds her own, not doesn't hold her own. She is a force of her own in this movie, which, I mean, I think honestly that uh, the directing has something to do with this because Maybe I need to watch her in other stuff, but I don't really see her as having other performances that are this legendary, but this one certainly is. So I won't falter for it. Um, she is a film 
legend and this is her masterpiece. This is everyone involved in this movie is at their pinnacle here. Ennio Morricone is at his pinnacle, Sergio Leone, all of the actors. Um, the cinematography in this movie is unreal. The pacing of this movie is unreal. The scenes that occur in this movie can't exist. And I'm so glad they do. Um, it's going to be so hard to top this movie for me. Yeah, I, I love this movie too. For me, the, the best part about this movie is when she's getting off the, the train after her, uh, I guess, fiance or whatever got murdered and that legendary um, that, that legendary theme plays and uh, she's just kind of walking mm -hmm. around the station and uh, it's a really, really great little, just a little moment really there. It's, um, it's fantastic. It's really a testament to Sergio Leone that it's uh has that he has such a lasting legacy you know with good the bad and the ugly once upon a time in the west once upon a time in america uh which i haven't seen that one but that's supposed to be really good as well so uh, anyway my number three um come on guys it's seven i mean come on <laughs> seven is oh my man it's a great movie, guys. And we've talked about it already. It's a pretty recent episode, but I'll go ahead and go over my loving and adoring thoughts for this movie. It's, it is really on this list. It's the most, and looking at craft, it's probably the best. But as far as favoritism goes, it's not. Uh, but which is saying a lot, <laughs> but I love this movie. Brad Pitt is fantastic in this role. You really feel for him throughout the movie, and especially by the end. It's heartbreaking, the ending. It's incredible, though. Morgan Freeman giving a more subtle performance, very similar to Heat, but probably the more skilled performer here uh, between Pitt and Freeman. Uh, he really carries this movie in an, un in an unseen and unappreciated way. Um, it's a crime that these two weren't nominated, of course. Uh, th they're both incredible. Morgan Freeman, is, as a Detective Somerset, is the really the OG for best detective in a movie. Just this, this is what I'm looking for in a detective now. Just... Morgan Freeman does it so, so well. And, you know, J Denzel, he just didn't get there. He's no Freeman, I guess. I'm not sure. Or maybe Dunley Hancock's just no David Fincher. But, I mean, you could see that these, especially with Brad Pitt, these guys got a companionship here. And you, you really feel the, uh, the connection that, you know, Fincher's broke. He's, he broke Jake Gyllenhaal. He's broken a few other actors, you know, just because of the how how hard he works them. Freeman and Pitt, they're fine. <laughs> you know, I mean, just I guess toughen up Jillian Hall because I mean these guys are doing fine. I mean, Pitt worked with him two more times after this. And uh, that's it's really great to see someone stick with Fincher the way uh the way Pitt has and uh Gwyneth Paltrow is really great. I think she should have been nominated too for Best Supporting Actress. She was really, really gives a, a sweet performance here that I really appreciated and really loved. 
and of course Kevin Spacey's playing this absolutely disgusting guy who you know I guess it was kind of a hot take what I said about him in, the, in our episode I, I still stand by it but uh his um ultimate you know belief system and motivations and all that I thought was captivating and really great that car drive is like the best car drive of all time <laughs> you know if we're going by just great car drives that's it for me and the score by Howard Shore is great Lord Rings is apex but that score was great and especially the score he plays by the end of the movie is really great um this is for me, it's a classic, this is the classic mystery thriller. No other movies topped it. It's one of the best movies of all time. If you haven't seen this movie, you and I have nothing to say to each other. The end. <laughs> there you go, number three. All right, Patrick. Number two. Hey, I, I still don't understand why we're not at number one yet. But uh, whether it's number one or it's broken up between number one and number two, Lord of the Rings is my top, the whole trilogy. So you can put one of them in number two and the rest of them at number one. <laughs> I would put uh, All right. Return of the King at number two and then the other two at number one. Okay, um, that's fair. That's fair. For me personally, this is the greatest trilogy of all time. I Absolutely. grew up with The Hobbit. It was my favorite book from my entire childhood. Um, and every every inch of the Lord of the Rings mythos that I could get my hands on, I did. And sadly, I forgot a lot of it. Like I used to read like the histories behind it and I need to get back to it eventually one day when I have time. But um, it's really beautiful stuff. Um, Peter Jackson, took J.R.R. Tolkien's world. And lots of people don't like this uh, interpretation. I have oh. to disagree. I love it. I love it. Like, okay, it's not going to... Exactly. I mean, it's not going to be the same as the book, obviously. It's not going to be as good as the book, obviously. But it is so great. And it turns it into one of the greatest... I mean, my favorite uh, film trilogy. I think one of the greatest film trilogies. Um, it's, it's at least in the conversation, I would say. Um, but anyway, love it, love it, love it. Yeah, it, it's great. It, it really is. I'll go ahead. I guess I got two more left. So I don't know what happened here but with this list, by the way, but I think we both, <laughs> we, both, we both accomplished some great stuff here. But my number two, I cannot believe this isn't on your list. I, I was so surprised. But um, Twin Peaks to Return, number two for me. Uh, this is... Uh, I've talked about it plenty on the show. It's great. It's mind-blowing. It makes sense, people, but it's the most confusing thing I've ever seen. Uh, in the best possible way, of course. It's, oh, man, you, you don't find this type of greatness often. And David Lynch is just chock full of it. He really delivers something special here. And, you know... Not everybody's going to get it. I understand. I loved it. I ate it all up. Every episode's golden. Not an episode's bad. The episode eight, where like it is just like a sequence, really. Like it's the 30 minutes of 2001, but 
an hour, you know, it's, it, that's genius. It's really beautiful imagery and just chilling, uh, just really chilling imagery. It, it, and Kyle McLaughlin kills it as Agent Cooper, one of my favorite protagonists. And I, I, for me, there's just so much knowledge and stored inside Twin Peaks The Return that is just remains untouched yet that people just haven't discovered yet. And uh, it, I'm just really glad that this show has found its audience. People do enjoy it. Um, not, I don't think enough people have seen it though. I know I, I can't find a single film essay on Twin Peaks The Return that is really worth worth noting and, and i'm a big film essay fan i like and i like watching those and i haven't really found a good one at all so i will really haven't found any so that's unfortunate i wish people were dissecting this more um but man this is this transcends movies it transcends television uh this is the the it's the best looking television quote unquote that i've ever seen i haven't seen anything that looks this good ever ever it's it's fantastic david lynch knocks it out of the park here and uh, he actually might be in my five trifecta i forgot to mention him and uh man he is a genius i could watch him smoke a cigarette and drink coffee all day honestly that dude just kills it he really does but um my number one as well is uh empire strikes back uh, Star Wars, you know, I have really kind of had to defend myself a couple times on this being my number one. You know, I've seen Whiplash and all of that. Whiplash and There Will Be Blood and, I feel you. Uh, and Sicario, you know, and all of that. And I was like, you know what? Empire Strikes Back may not be the best movie out there. But it sure is my favorite. And I I don't know what age I was when I watched this, but I must have been at least five uh, at max, really. Just I've grown up with Star Wars. And um, for me, this is the best Star Wars movie. It's the got the strongest writing, uh, probably because George Lucas is out of the picture for a lot of this. This is his least favorite. There's a reason for that, I think. I think it says a little bit about the man. But um, I love what's done here. The um, For me, this is what makes this better than the prequels is because we have, you know, I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and it gets on everything. And then we have, my hands are dirty. My hands are dirty too. That Those are two kind of equally bits of kind of bad dialogue. But when you get Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, it's gold. It's you. It, you mind the heck out of it, and that's that's so great for that you have two talented actors like that that are really able to turn some kind of lackluster dialogue into memorable dialogue that will go down as legendary dialogue to the end of humanity. <laughs> you know, like that's. That's really a testament to the legacy of Star Wars, and you know the ultimate review. You are I'm no father. Genius, of course. We've talked about it plenty, uh, or at least the world has. I haven't really stated a bunch of my thoughts on it, but we'll save that. Um, 
wink wink um anyway um my favorite lightsaber battle as well of the whole series um kind of you know i think people hold up like you know darth maul and obi-wan and anakin's battle on mustafar but for me this one has the emotion and it has the the good choreography um vader kicks tail in this movie he chokes a dude and it's great i saw this movie last year in theaters and man that one really got me in the feelings just getting back into theater that was when you know we weren't going to the theater as much you know got back into theater and really just enjoyed it plenty of my dad and i were annoying my my uh siblings and my mom a whole lot reciting dialogue before it happened uh you know i know this movie that well i must have seen it like three dozen times i love it i don't go back to it a whole lot i let it age like fine wine and when it when you pull it out it's for me it's the best stinking movie ever so what do you want what else do you want from me um anyway there you go that's our top 30 or is it 30 i don't know anymore maybe i made a mistake or or i'm not really sure what happened there but um i think we got some really good points across uh i think if we were to compare this episode with our other episode I think this one is certainly better. So um, I mean, there you go. I think we've definitely grown yeah. a whole lot as a podcast. I, I at least I know I have. Um, and uh, man, this was a lot of fun. It's been a long one, definitely. But um, oh yeah, yes, an epic. It really it has it been will an go epic. down in history. Yes, it. Uh, it well, I think this is a. Do you think this is two episodes? Do you think this is two episodes? This is two episodes. I think it might be. I think it's two episodes. It's a part one and part two for sure. <laughs> but um, you know, we can't close out an episode without five movies you want to see soon. So, Patrick. Oh no, I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay, so. Okay, I'll I'll rush around real quick. So February twenty sixth. A bunch of big movies are going to come out that were on Sundance. Two of them I really want to see. I'm talking about The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins. This is a movie that I've heard a lot of great things about. And I want to see it because I think it's going to be really, really good. And uh, I, it's talking about a, a father with dementia. And that I think will be a, but kind of in a uh, in a dreamlike quality. So I'm really excited to to see how that goes. I mean, I've heard really good things. Minari, an A24 film. I've heard really good things about it, and I'm wanting to check that one out. Um, the other, um, the other three though, Joker. It's high time, Patrick. It's high time. I'm mm. going to see this bad boy soon. <laughs> I'm going to come back and I'll decide who's better. Joaquin Phoenix or Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm pulling for Leo here just because I want to make the Academy feel bad. But you know what? I don't know if my point's <laughs> going to get across. But anyway, um, I really want to see this movie. It, it's part of my 2019, you know, little trek I'm doing. Um, another one I need to see, Promising Young Woman. My starring Carrie Mulligan. I need to see this bad boy soon. And um, and uh, it's on Amazon. It's a really it's expensive. I'm I'm kind of waiting for it to come on rent. Uh, it's like twenty dollars right now. 
So I'm waiting for it to come on rent. But anyway, um, last one, Nomad's Land or Nomadland starring Francis McDormand. Yeah. Heard some really good things about this one. This came out on Hulu. I'm hoping to see it soon. Um, and I'm very excited. I have high expectations. This is kind of the Oscar front runner here. And I have really high expectations for it. I've heard great things. I love Frances McDormand from what I've seen her in. I think she's a really good actress. And um, hopefully she's really good in this. I definitely think whether she's good in this movie or not, she's taking home the Oscar uh, for best <laughs> actress. I'm sure she's great, though. I'm sure she's great. So that's my five. All right. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit and throw some rewatches on here. I really want to rewatch Orpheus because only saw it once and I, I'm way overhyping it probably, but um, I think it's great. So I'm going to rewatch that one. I'm going to rewatch uh, La Dolce Vita if I can find it anywhere because I watched it on the Criterion channel, but I don't have that subscription anymore. Oh, um, no. So I'll have to do some digging. I'll have to do some digging, but I'll find it. What? Bye bye, Criterion. <laughs> Peace out. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. It's a gone girl. Um, <laughs> but I do want to rewatch that one. And I, I need to get through your list. Like what? Uh, I can't remember on your list which ones I had not seen. But I okay. I need to rewatch Warrior for sure because I haven't seen that. In a mm, while. Yeah, Warrior. Um. Um. Prisoners. I know there were a few. Yes, Prisoners. Prison warrior and i'll say lawrence of arabia even though that might be uh a shaky thing because yeah. um actually i don't know i'm i'm actually kind of curious about it so we'll it's see good. It's but good. that's my thought yeah it's good all right anyway it's late patrick um i'm ready to wrap it, it up i'm tired we've been on the we've been recording for a while here i reckon we'll be old men <laughs> by the end of this episode's over but anyway um we're definitely splitting this in part one part two Wait. i can definitely confirm that so anyway listeners thank you for joining me for those of you who are with us since day one with our first episode that was garbage i appreciate that you, have stuck, you. that you've stuck by us and uh, have continued to go on this journey with us. I really think that we have done some great growth here and still have, I think, a ton of room to improve, which is, I think, of course, like any podcast. So um, thank you so much for sticking with us. We hope that you have enjoyed this one-year ride. Here's to how many more years do we want to do this, Patrick? I don't know. But um, to Here's to infinity and beyond. Uh, amen, amen. Um, so thank you for joining us. Patrick, thank you for joining me on this one-year journey. Here's to infinity and beyond, my friend. Um, this was a lot thank of fun talking me. about a really Such bad, a great episode. Yeah, talking about a really bad movie, then talking about 30, or was it 30? 30 great ones. So thank you, listeners. 62, 63. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can email us at moviemaniacs2020 at gmail.com and leave us a five-star review at I, on iTunes or whatever it's called. And you can all, or Apple Podcasts, right? I am on the nonukumhub.blogspot.com and I'm also on Letterboxd at my name. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on this one-year journey. And hopefully we picked up some new listeners in this episode. Maybe if this is your first time, we hope you continue with us and start 
for another year-long journey. So thank you. And this has been an absolutely an absolute blast. Absolutely an absolute blast. All right. Thank you, Patrick, for joining me. <laughs> Same. And this is the, the end of our uh, year, uh, one-year anniversary. So thank you for joining us.